0: Lumen Gentium, Section 27: The bishops, as vicars and legates of Christ, governed by their councils, persuasion, and example, the particular churches assigned to them, and also by the authority and sacred power which they exercise exclusively for the spiritual development of their flock in truth and holiness, keeping in mind that the greater must become like the lesser and the leader as the servant. This power which they exercise personally in the name of Christ is proper, ordinary, and immediate, although its exercise is ultimately controlled by the supreme authority of the church and and can be confined within certain limits, should the usefulness of the church and the faithful require this. In virtue of this power, bishops have a sacred right and a duty before the Lord of legislating for and of passing judgment on their subjects, as well as of regulating everything that concerns the good order of divine worship and of the apostolate. The pastoral charge, that is, the permanent and daily care of their sheep, is entrusted to them fully, nor are they to be regarded as vicars of the Roman pontiff, for they exercise a power which they possess in their own right, and are most truly said to be at the head of the people whom they govern. Consequently, their authority, far from being damaged by the supreme and universal power, is in fact defended, upheld, and strengthened by it since the Holy Spirit preserves unfailingly that form of government which was set up by Christ the Lord in his church. Sent as he is by the Father to govern his family, a bishop should keep before his eyes the example of the good shepherd, who came not to be served, but to serve, and to lay down his life for his sheep. Taken from among human beings and subject to weakness himself, he can sympathize with those who are ignorant and erring, He should not refuse to listen to his subjects whose welfare he promotes as of his very own children, and whom he urges to collaborate readily with him. Destined to render an account for their souls to God by prayer, preaching, and all good works of charity, he should be solicitous both for their welfare and also for that of those who do not yet belong to the one flock, all of whom he should regard as entrusted to him in the Lord." Since, like St. Paul, he is in duty bound to everyone, he should be eager to preach the gospel to all and to spur his faithful on to apostolic and missionary activity. As to the faithful, they should be closely attached to the bishop as the church is to Jesus Christ and as Jesus Christ is to the Father, so that all things may conspire toward harmonious unity and bring forth abundant fruit to the glory of God. Section 28. Christ, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, has, through his apostles, made their successors the bishops, sharers in his consecration and mission, and these in turn duly entrusted in varying degrees various members of the Church with the office of their ministry. Thus, the divinely instituted ecclesiastical ministry is exercised in different degrees by those who, even from ancient times, have been called bishops, priests, and deacons. While they do not have the supreme degree of the pontifical office and depend on the bishops for their exercise of their power, priests are for all that associated with them by reason of their priestly dignity. By virtue of the sacrament of orders, they are consecrated in the image of Christ, the supreme and eternal priest, to preach the gospel and shepherd the faithful, as well as to celebrate divine worship as true priests of the New Testament. On the level of their own ministry, sharing in the unique office of Christ, the Mediator, they announce to everyone the word of God. However, it is above all in the Eucharistic worship or assembly of the faithful that they exercise their sacred functions. Then, acting in the person of Christ and proclaiming his mystery, they unite the prayers of the faithful to the sacrifice of Christ their head. And in the sacrifice of the Mass, they make present again and apply until the coming of the Lord the unique sacrifice of the New Testament Christ offering Himself once for all an unblemished victim to the Father. For the faithful who are repentant or are ill, they exercise the fullest degree of ministry of reconciliation and comfort, while they carry the needs and supplications of the faithful to God the Father, exercising within the limits of the authority which is theirs the office of Christ the shepherd and head, they assemble the family of God as brothers and sisters, animated by the spirit of unity. And through Christ in the spirit, they lead them to God the Father. In the midst of the flock, they adore him in spirit and in truth. In short, they labor in preaching and instruction, firmly adhering to what they have read and mediated in the law of God, teaching what they have believed and putting into practice what they have preached. The priests, prudent cooperators of the Episcopal College and its support and instrument, called to the service of the people of God, constitute, together with their bishop, one presbyterate, though dedicated to a variety of duties. In each local assembly of the faithful, they make the bishop present, in a sense, and they are associated with him in trust and generosity. For their part, they take upon themselves his duties in solicitude and carry them out in their daily work for the faithful priests who, under the authority of the bishop, sanctify and govern that portion of the Lord's flock assigned to them, render the universal church visible in their locality and contribute effectively toward building up the whole body of Christ. And ever anxious for the good of the children of God, they should be eager to lend their efforts not only to the pastoral work of the whole diocese, but also of the whole church. By reason of this sharing in the priesthood and mission, Priests should see in the bishop a true father and obey him with all respect. The bishop, for his part, should treat the priests, his helpers, as his sons and friends, just as Christ calls his disciples no longer servants but friends. All priests then, whether diocesan or religious, by reason of the sacrament of orders and of the ministry, are associated with the body of bishops and, according to their vocation and the grace that is given them, they work for the good of the whole church. In virtue of their sacred ordination and of their common mission, all priests are united together by bonds of intimate brotherhood. This should manifest itself in mutual help, spiritual or temporal, pastoral or personal, spontaneously and freely given in reunions and together in life, work, and charity. As their fathers in Christ, they should care for the faithful, whom they have begotten spiritually by baptism and instruction. Having gladly become examples for their flock, they should preside over and serve their local community in such a way that it may deserve to be called by the name which is given to the one people of God in its entirety. That is to say, the Church of God. They should be mindful that by their daily conduct and solicitude, they should show the face of a truly priestly and pastoral ministry to believers and unbelievers alike, to Catholics and non-Catholics that they are bound to bear witness before all people to truth and life. And as good shepherds seek after those too who, having been baptized in the Catholic Church, have given up the practice of the sacraments or even fallen away from the faith. Since the human race today is tending more and more towards civil, economic, and social unity, it is all the more necessary that priests should unite their efforts and combine their resources under the leadership of the bishops and the Supreme Pontiff and thus eliminate division and dissension in every shape or form, so that all humanity may be led into the unity of the family of God. Section 29. At a lower level of the hierarchy are to be found deacons who receive the imposition of hands, not for the priesthood, but for the ministry. For strengthened by sacramental grace, they are dedicated to the people of God in communion with the bishop and his presbyterate, in the service of the liturgy, of the word, and of charity. It is a deacon's task, as authorized by the competent authority, to administer baptism solemnly, to reserve and distribute the Eucharist, to assist at and bless marriages in the name of the Church, to take viaticum to the dying, to read the sacred scripture to the faithful, to instruct and exhort the people, to preside over the worship and the prayer of the faithful, to administer sacramentals and to officiate at funeral and burial services. Dedicated to works of charity and functions of administration, deacons should recall the admonition of St. Polycarp, let them be merciful and zealous and let them walk according to the truth of the Lord, who became the servant of all. Since, however, the laws and customs of the Latin church enforced today in many areas render it difficult to fulfill these functions, which are so extremely necessary for the life of the church. It will be possible in the future to restore the diaconate as a proper and permanent rank of the hierarchy. I should note to you who are listening to this that that has been done. This is written obviously in the 60s when permanent deacons had pretty much gone away. We now have an immense number of permanent deacons. And so what they're talking about here has been accomplished but it pertains to the competent local Episcopal conferences of one kind or another, with the approval of the Supreme Pontiff, to decide whether and where it is opportune that such deacons be appointed. Should the Roman Pontiff think fit, it will be possible to confer this diaconal order even upon married men, provided they be of more mature age and also unsuitable young men for whom, however, the law of celibacy must remain in force.